0: Now, here are your hosts, Kyle and Lolita.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate Podcast. I'm your co-host, Lolita, also joined by Kyle. Before we get started, please make sure to head over to our website, aptcapitalgroup.com, and grab our free Passive Investor's Guide. And if you're interested in learning more about what we do, you can schedule a call with Kyle on our website as well. All right, time to get into our show. On today's show, we have Jonathan Barr joining us. Welcome, Jonathan. How's it going?
2: Pretty good. How are you guys?
1: We are doing great. Thanks for joining us. Before we head into the interview, here's a little bit about Jonathan. Jonathan started his real estate career during the 2009 recession. He has been involved in the acquisitions of over 400 residential flips in the competitive Los Angeles market. Along with his brother, Jeff, at their company, JB2, their bread and butter is investing in value-add projects, 70-plus units, in B2C-class complexes in B-emerging neighborhoods. JB2 currently has properties in Kansas City and the OKC metro area and looking to expand in higher cash flow markets. So Jonathan, I'm sure you've seen it all with the real estate market, seeing you've been in the industry for over a decade. So let's take it from here. And uh, can you go ahead and tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself and what you currently do?
2: Yep, sure. So like you said, I got my start uh, after the last recession, but I grew up in a real estate family. So I've just always been a- around real estate. My daycare was basically in my mom's real estate office. So just doing open houses with her. She was a real estate agent. She They did flips. They did that whole thing. And after the last recession, they did take a hit. So I I grad, had just graduated from college and I came to join them to help kind of rebuild things a little bit. And we started going in the foreclosure auctions, trustee sales, REOs, short sales, probates, uh, you name it. We probably bought it that way. We did about 400 deals in the last 10 years or so. We had a small portfolio of multifamily in LA that I leased and managed myself. So I've kind of been in the trenches. And we also did some ground up stuff in LA, townhouse style projects which if you know anything about development in LA is pretty challenging, but we successfully did a few of those projects. And during uh, right after the last recession, I bought a few duplexes that I've sold in the last year or two that have been 1031 into properties in the Midwest. And we have a building in Kansas City, like you said, one in Oklahoma City. And we just put under contract today, a 69 unit in Oklahoma City. So, yeah.
3: Thanks. Congrats on that 69 yeah.
2: unit. Thank awesome. you.
3: Well, talk to us a little bit about your investment strategy. I I believe you like to hold forever, or at least that's a long-term goal. So talk to us a little bit more about that investment strategy.
2: Yeah. So coming from the flip space, I know what it is to make quick money and good money because flips in LA, you could easily make a hundred K a pop. I mean, we've made a lot more on that on flips, but you got to keep on looking for them. You got to keep on We had to do two deals a month just to pay for our employees and overhead and everything that we had going on. So coming from that space, I understand that necessity to keep finding deals. And so the idea behind Holding Forever is that we don't need to find as many deals. We could find some good deals, a little bit newer deals older, longer term, uh, refi, take out most of the money. So most of the time we're able to take out just as much money as if we were going to sell it. So we're still in an asset that's cash flowing that we know, and we still have funds that we could take into future deals. And then also you don't have to just refi once. We could, in year 12, we could refi again, and then maybe use some fun- some of those funds to do improvements The only caveat I would say is probably at 27 and a half years, we would sell just because depreciation runs out. So you start losing some of that, those tax benefits. So at that point, it might make sense at 1031 into a new asset.
3: Yep. And the great part about refinancing is that all that capital that you get back is tax-free. So that's an even better strategy. You mentioned vintage there or the age of the property is a little bit newer. What vintage are you looking for for your multifamily?
2: Trying to stick with 80s or newer. Just because of the systems we had their acid in in Oklahoma City is a, a built in nineteen sixty nine and we just have more maintenance issues and you know a lot of times people fix things but they don't fix the plumbing the electrical the the roofs uh, all kinds of things that you know you don't really get a rent bump for, but they could be costly and they can cause you issues and if if those systems aren't working well, you lose tenants too because they're toilets or whatever aren't working the way they, so it's about retention as well. Yeah, I,
3: I think, you know, we have 1970s product and then we are focused more on 1980s now as well. And and I could agree. And you also get a different tenant base, right? Ones that, you know, are going to be a little bit lower end and, and damage your property a little bit more. So you definitely have to keep that in mind. It's not that those properties can't work, but it's just you've got to plan for them a little bit. So your expenses will be higher, your turnover will be higher, and probably a lot more capex needed for those types of properties.
2: Yeah. And another thing to add is we would try to get into even newer 90s, 2000s. The only issue with that is the returns do, as you go into newer product, the returns do come down, but those risks are mitigated. So you're kind of like, you get a lower return, but you have a newer product that you're gonna have less issues. And maybe in in the long run, it'll be the same thing, you know?
3: Yep. So more on your investment strategy here. Now you've been in the business for you know over 10 years and most people I talk to want to scale and continue to grow as fast as they can and build this huge company. I think you've got a different approach. Can you talk a little bit more about that?
2: Yeah. So we do want to scale too. We want to get to probably about a thousand units and kind of see where it goes from there, but we don't want to have a billion dollar company. We rather be the shop that does three, four deals a year and doesn't have a bunch of staff and overhead and, and people we need to manage just because we value balance in life. We value having other hobbies. We value being able to do things though. This is kind of our life right now, because that's what we're focused on in the future. We want to have more flexibility. We're doing this to kind of be able to wake up in the morning and have a choice of what we want to do or not do. Yeah,
3: I love that. And I'm on the same page as you. Much like our company, you like to find operational inefficiencies or that expense uh, expense reduction play. Can you tell us more about what that is exactly?
2: Yeah. For example, on the last deal, we reduced expenses by 25%. And that was by cutting a bunch of marketing costs that they had that wasn't necessary, reducing insurance costs a bit, staffing a little less staff than before. And because our manager had some other properties nearby, uh, sharing resources like buying a snake—that four thousand dollars snake that three properties can use instead of buying one for one property—little things like that really add up. Um, and we were able to reduce expenses in year one for uh, about one hundred and twelve thousand on that property. So finding, or this new sixty-nine unit, for example, they don't advertise online, their rent ledgers by hand. So finding little things like that, people have owned property for 30, 40 years that are like running their, their property in an archaic way, we could really go in there and make some improvements and, and change things.
3: Why do you like this play more than like a typical interior value add play? I know, you know, we've done quite a few of these operational plays. And although it seems easy to just cut expenses, it actually is more of a heavy lift because the management of the current, you know, the current operations is pretty much in disarray. And you've got to turn that around. It just doesn't happen overnight.
2: No, I agree with that. But also with construction, when you start opening up walls, you start going in there and doing stuff, you're going to get surprises and usually going to be over budget 20 to 30%. You could budget for that, but no matter what, there's there's just more risk with it. And this kind of mitigates a lot of that risk. And what I'm seeing right now is a lot of those like heavy or lift value add projects are being, they're pricing that into it, knowing that you're going to get certain rent bumps. And it's just not worth the price for the risk you're taking when taking on those types of projects, not to say that we wouldn't be scared of them because we have a, a background in construction, doing so many flips that we gutted so many houses, did ground up, but it, it ha- the price has to align with with that risk you're taking on with a big construction project.
3: Yeah, the reason why I like operational plays or expense plays is because typically you are going to take over a property and there's going to be some type of increase in the incomes through a value add phase. But if you can do both, if you can get NOI driven from income and expenses, it's like doubling your NOI essentially versus just increasing incomes. And in today's market where it's tough to find good deals, you know, you need to be able to drive that NOI more than just on that income side, which is why, you know, the expense play, if it's there, is is a great one.
2: Yeah. And you're not disrupting the tenants too. You're not bumping them up like a, a large amount where you're pushing some people out. And we're, we're still doing modest rent bumps, like $50, something like that. But we're not doing huge rent bumps, $100, $150 a pop. Unless some tenants are way below market, then we'll, then we'll raise them a little bit more than $50. But we also won't try to squeeze them out and squeeze every last penny and value the, the tenants that have been there for a while.
3: Yep. Yep. Perfect. Well, so far, you guys have kind of structured your company kind of like the way we do, right? We're very focused on the operational play. We're not looking to take down 10 deals a year. We're not looking at multiple markets, which is another one. And I think you focus on limited markets and really get to know them and the players, which is what we do. Talk a little bit more about that and why you've decided to go that route.
2: Yeah. So we're in a super competitive market right now and you need every advantage that you can have. And by focusing on certain markets, you really get to know the expenses for that kind of building. You get to know vendors, you get to know the neighborhoods, you really get to, so that when it comes time to looking at a deal and maybe it's between you and two other people, you're like, you know what? Our property manager has another property around the corner. For example on the 69 unit deal we're going to run it with half a pm and that pm is going to run out of like their main office and just have a maintenance guy on there so being like creative in that way the only way you could do that is by focusing on the market really getting to know it really get getting to know everything so your assumptions you can really confidently tighten up instead of just guessing really
3: Yeah, I mean, look, we just moved to Scottsdale, actually, a few weeks ago, a couple months when this episode comes out. But the reason was to separate ourselves from our competition and really focus in on a market. So I I absolutely agree with you uh, that in this environment, you need to be able to separate yourself by the smallest of margins. And so we just moved here. The other thing I would say, too, is now once you start to build a portfolio in your markets, you can comp off of your own properties, which is uh, invaluable. You know, you can comp off of, you know, the property management's other company or properties or one down the street. But if it's yours, you know the renovation plan, you know the exact renovation costs, you know the payroll. So that becomes a lot easier to be more realistic with your underwriting instead of super conservative because you're just not sure what that market's going to do.
2: Yeah. And and you really know the effective rent because just because they're marketing a certain price doesn't mean that's what it's renting for. You don't know all the fees that might be behind that. And you know the story behind your property that you could confidently come off of that.
3: Yep, exactly. So tell us a little bit more what it's like to grow up in a real estate family. And I believe you work with your brother, right? I do.
2: Yeah. And I mean, it's always been fun. Our, our dinners are basically real estate meetings where we talk about deals. So it's like just ingrained in me. And then also it just, it's a trust thing too, you know, working with family, you could trust them a hundred percent. You can give them access to bank accounts. You can, you don't have to worry about maybe a partner that you've only known for a few years and you in the back of your mind, maybe you're like, have to question some things. And and I, I don't have to worry about that. I sleep well at night knowing that I could trust my partner and with my life. I mean, literally with my life, I could trust them. And I also work with my brother for about eight years in the previous business. So I really got a feel for like how he works, who he is, and he's my younger brother and he listens to me. So that's also helpful as well. Yep. Nice.
3: (laughs) What advice would you give to anyone out there looking to work with their family members? I'm sure it's not just all fun and games. I'm sure it's not all, you know, there's got to be some challenges for sure.
2: Yeah. I probably wouldn't work for your parents. (laughs) It's just that dynamic and and whatever. I, I don't regret doing it, but it's definitely challenging. That's definitely was a challenge. But setting boundaries and clear expectations and being very open with each other. And making sure, I think if you have a family member that you tend to have more conflict with, it's probably better to stay away from that. But if you have a more, I guess, chill relationship and you can mitigate things a lot easier, then, then go for it because there's no one else you could trust more than a sibling or 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 maybe even a cousin, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. So
3: as you guys approach that thousand unit mark, are you planning ever to bring a property management in-house or will you always kind of hire out a third party?
2: It's a good question. I think we will always hire a third party because that's a whole nother business. Yeah, you one parts about doing that is you have more control. You might be able to cut a little bit more on costs by having a little more control, but I think eventually we will hire maybe an asset manager to take control of some of those aspects of that. But we'll always work closely. A PM is your partner, you know, they, they charge you 5%. But really, it's like 20% your profit, you know, so they have as much the gain by it running well as, as you do. And so if you look at it that way, and you continue to give them business and figure it out, and they're willing to work with you and change and be flexible and kind of grow with you, then it could work really well.
3: Yeah, I think the property management company is your number one partner or number one asset once you've closed on a property. I mean, they can either make or break or your deal, you know. So what was your process in finding it? And then what's your process in kind of continuing to build on that relationship?
2: So we had the building in Kansas City. We couldn't find anything over 50 units in Kansas City that made sense. So we kind of opened up our scope And we looked in Oklahoma City because it was within a few hundred miles of Kansas City. And we first started looking for property managers. And we just connected with this property manager that knew about the deal that we bought. And he's also owner-operator. So he kind of comes from that owner mindset. He's around our age. He's growing his business. Uh, We're growing our business. We just get along. And he's flexible and their team. And they've changed things for us, especially when it comes to KPIs and reporting and seeing what we want to see has been pretty amenable to that to a certain extent, like they can't change their whole business just for us because they have other owners and other things that they have going on, but it's just been really open and we're straightforward and it, it's just been a really good partnership and, and nothing's perfect too. There's always things that could be, I feel like can be better, but, but it's always a work in progress. Yep,
3: absolutely. Awesome. Well, Lolita's going to take us into our final four questions. Okay.
0: Choosing the right insurance coverage for multifamily properties isn't that complicated, if you know who to talk to. At the Garzella Group, we're uniquely qualified to help you navigate the range of policy choices you have, and we're committed to saving you 30% in the process. We do intensive market research and have nationwide relationships so we can find coverage other insurance brokers simply can't. We should talk. Go to Quotenow.biz and we'll start the conversation.
1: Okay, Jonathan, what is the one tool you use in real estate investing that you cannot do without?
2: I'd say like my CRM's pretty powerful to just keep track of like investors, communication, all that kind of stuff. I use active campaign. I'm also just Excel and every, all the power I could do for analyzing deals and just forecasting different things. And, and also data, especially if we're looking at new markets, uh, I, I geek out on like the data and analyzing it. And, and uh my wife's actually really good at like, kind of taking that data and making it make sense with it because she's like an Excel whiz.
1: Perfect. Can you tell us a story about maybe one of your biggest mistakes in real estate investing and what is the main takeaway for our listeners?
2: Yeah, so when we were going to the foreclosure auctions, when you go to the foreclosure auctions, you have to do your own title. And a lot of times second loans go to sale and you have to identify if it's a first loan, second loan. Sometimes they're giving me a third loan. And we got some bad information from our title company. I thought we bought a first. We ended up buying a second and we, we lost a few hundred thousand on that deal. And and what I learned from that situation is just having triple checking everything, having due diligence, almost having due diligence list for your due di- diligence yeah. list, you know, <laughs> and making sure to not move forward unless something's checked off. I'd rather say no if we're missing something crucial than, than uh, say yes and deal with that for years yeah yeah exactly (laughs) and it was it was not a fun situation we figured it out and now never make a mistake like that again
1: (laughs) what is it that you need to do now to grow your life to the next level
2: I think just creating more systems uh obviously more deals I think everyone needs more deals but yeah, and continuing to build that platform, and I think we're in we're going in the right direction and kind of moving the ball forward a little bit every day, and that's what it takes.
1: All right, and finally, Jonathan, where can people find out more about you?
2: I'm pretty active on Twitter, so at JB2 Investments, you can find me there or look up my name. You could also go to my website, jb2investments.com. We also have an ebook on there, jb2investments/lower. forward slash And it's just about accelerated depreciation, 1031 exchanges, and investing with retirement money. So it's like kind of tax advantages of real estate ebook.
1: Perfect. Well, Jonathan, thanks for your time today and sharing your journey with us on the show.
2: Thank you, guys. Thanks, Jonathan.
0: Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please go to iTunes and leave a rating and written review to help us grow and reach more listeners. You can also go to the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate group on Facebook so you can connect with Kyle and Lolita and ask your questions that you want them to answer on the show. Subscribe too so that you can get the latest episodes. Lastly, to stay updated, head on over to aptcapitalgroup.com and sign up for the newsletter. If you're interested in partnering with Kyle and Lolita, sign up on the Contact Us page so you can talk to them directly. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode.